Welcome to Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat, where the best minds in the drone world come to engage. I'm Richard Fisher, publisher at Inside Unmanned Systems, coming to you live from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., with your hosts, Sean Bullard and James Poss. Hello, I'm James Poss. I'm Sean Bullard. Welcome to Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat. Our guest today is Craig Markinkowski with Griffin Sensors and David Sandler with Rodian Schwartz. All right, Sean, as we learned uh, last week in keeping with our theme of counter UAS for this month, uh, we had Dan Johnson from the Department of Home, former analyst with the Department of Homeland Security that convinced me beyond a shadow of a doubt you can take off the shelf drones, do minimal modification to them uh, and turn them into a weapon of war that can drop grenades very precisely. Uh, we also had uh, Paul Rigby and Jeff Pugh from Consortique in the United Kingdom that talked about the Gatwick incident in which uh, just our regular off-the-shelf drone with no modification shut down the second largest uh, airport in the United Kingdom for three days. So this is going to be first in our series about what we can do about it. And what I learned from 30 years in Air Force intelligence is uh, the first thing you got to do when you're face with a threat is to be able to know what that threat is and to be able to track it. And as a result, we've got two of the best guys in the business that are going to be able to tell us how to do that. Um, yes, we do. On the one hand with radar, uh, electro-optical sensors, and then on the other hand, how to track how to track folks through uh, the, the radio frequency side. You know, David, I would say, uh, why don't you kick it off? I know Craig pretty well, and, and so does James. So why don't you kick it off and tell us a little bit about your background and a little bit about uh, what you're doing at this moment? Hi guys, thank you for having me on. My background is in electrical and computer engineering. Uh, I got my start in semiconductor market space for space and avionics engineering. Currently working as a intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance system specialist. I'm a subject matter expert on CUAS for Rodian Schwarz for our North American market. We have our Arjonas product and we have our Guardian product, which we are providing to the market. Okay, and so can you tell me a little bit, uh, because of the difference between how the U.K. may be approaching uh, counter as well as uh, the U.S., uh, and you're in Munich right now, correct? Or, yeah, in this case, Germany. Correct. Okay, so yeah, you're, you're in Munich. So, so can you tell me what you're seeing uh, across the pond as opposed to what we're seeing here in the U.S.? Yeah, definitely. One of the things I say that's a big difference is the legality of countermeasures. Um, one big difference is due to the FCC's wiretapping and other restrictions on uh, the restriction of aircraft. You know, I'd say that in the U.S. we're experiencing greater legal hurdles for countermeasures than we are for the detection systems. And this is affecting on how we're able to roll out our products in the United States versus within Europe. Yeah. Okay. So that's a good point. Um, so we're talking specifically your systems that you have there with Rodian Schwartz track a UAS by its radio frequency emissions. Now, why is that easier to do in a European country than it is in the United States? What, what's the issue with the with the with us here in the states about doing that? I would say it comes down to authorization for local, state, and federal authorities to use the countermeasures. You know, if you look at our system, you can really divide it into two parts. There's a jammer, and that part is what's hard to bring into the U.S. However, the detection side of things, the purely passive system, that's easier to bring into market. Okay. Well, uh, first, before we get into, you know, U.S. versus Europe on that, how does a, 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 a radio frequency tracking system work to tell where a drone is? I mean, I, I 
I mean, how do you how do you tell that with accuracy? How do you tell what the drone is? I mean, how does your system work? Yeah, for starters, I think we should know that there's a few different technologies used for drone communication links. Drone communication links can be done by Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, or general RC links using frequency hopping spread spectrum signals. These are typically on the ISM bands, which can include 433 or 900 megahertz, but more commonly are 2.4 gig and 5.8 gigahertz ISM bands. Our solution detects all transmitters between 20 megahertz and 6 gigahertz, and using our signals analysis software, we can match signal based on a multitude of RF features to detect not only what kind of drone it is, but also where the drone or drone controller is geographically. Oh, wow. I mean, can you share with us how you, how you can geolocate, or is that uh, propriety kind of stuff? No. So our background in uh, RF direction finding is really what comes in very handy here. So there's two ways to really do this. Um, I won't get too technical here, but typically what you do is you have multiple direction finders, and what they can do is give you a line of bearing from that sensor to where the transmitter is being located. If you use more than one sensor, you can get two lines of bearing to intersect, and that would give you a precise geolocation of where the transmitter really is. I got you. So you can, uh, one antenna can tell the guy is operating from this azimuth. Another antenna says he's operating from this azimuth and where the lines cross is where he actually is. I mean, that uh, did Rodian Schwartz's background uh, really enable an, a, an easy entry into this counter UAS stuff? I mean, weren't you guys doing some of this stuff before for electronic warfare and stuff? Absolutely. We've actually been in this market for about 60 years. 60? So we've been able okay. to leverage products that have been in the market for a long time, and we make some of the best RF direction finders on the market. Uh, okay. So what you guys did was adapted what you've been doing for the past six decades and kind of modernized it for this particular target. I mean, how, how effective is that? I mean, uh, we, we talked about it earlier uh, with Dan Johnson, a former DHS a small UAS analyst, and he said that, uh, true, um, a lot of the big threat is from drones that are, you know, you buy them off the internet and uh, you operate them just like anybody else does. So you got a remote pilot and he's using a data link. Uh, but also uh, there's some threat from drones that are operated autonomously that, that move from waypoint to waypoint to waypoint. I mean, is your system effective against a drone that's uh, being flown autonomously without direct control from a pilot? Or how does that work? In summary, not really, to be entirely honest. Um, our solution is good for the vast majority of the drone market. If you look at almost all drones are controlled by RF link, less than 10% of the market is able to fly autonomously versus uh, via GPS waypoint navigation. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the fact that radar and EOIR, they typically have a very difficult time distinguishing a drone from say a bird or another object that might be flying in the sky. The advantage to the RF sensors is that it'll one, catch most of the threats out there, and two, it's going to detect them with a very low false positive ratio. So if you look at what you want to make an effective, very usable counter UAS system, RF is a critical component in that you want to be able to detect the drones. And additionally, you will be able to detect the drones before they even take off and detect where the controller of the or operator of the drone may be, which can lead to an easier apprehension of the suspect. Okay, so when you say you can detect with a low false positive, I mean, what does that mean? I mean, how confident are you when you intercept a drone signal that actually is the drone that you think it is? I mean, how, how does that work? So the way that this works, and this is built from our experience in Eland, is our system sees all transmitters 
between 20 megahertz and 6 gigahertz. We have a library of known drones, and additionally, if someone were to home make their own RF link, as soon as we see that system, it takes two clicks of the mouse, and then you can add that drone to your threat library. So it makes the system very adaptable to new threats that are coming on the market. Okay, so summing it up on what you're able to do passively with a drone, you're very, very confident uh, that you can tell a counter drone operator what that drone is if they're using their data link because you've got this library of signatures and you know exactly make and model of that drone is the only one that uses that signature. And then you can geolocate it um, to some degree of accuracy. I mean, how how accurate is your geolocation when you're using your system? If you can There's talk a variety of, of environmental factors that come into play. But if we get a good read on a drone, such as, you know, Depending on the altitude it's flying in the environment you're in, this is going to work much better in, say, an open field than downtown Manhattan. But if you're able to get a fixture on it and get more than one, we can get as close as one degree of accuracy. Okay, so but that's still tens of meters uh, of accuracy that, that uh, I mean, you're not going to know within a couple inches where the drone is based just off a of passive radio frequency, right? Not within a couple of inches, but we could give you, say, a street corner the guy might be operating from. Hey, so, Craig, do you want to jump in here? Uh, you've you've done a lot of work in this space, especially with radar, and you've been in this space. Um, I, I mean, I, I consider you, Craig, as one of the legacy systems in this conversation. So so can you can you pick up there uh, as to what you're doing there at Griffin? Yeah, and Griffin has been in this for a long time. Oh, if you could tell how, us about how long, Griffin. How long have you been in this? Sure. Um, well, well Griffin Sensors were a business group within SRC, um, and, and they started Griffin back in 2014 to really design some commercial sensors from the ground up for the counter UAS market. Um, we have our Skylight system, which is a, um, a system of systems, if you will, a multi-sensor approach using radar, um, RF direction finders, similar to what we just talked about, and optics as well. Um, and we really think a, a multi-sensor approach is, is the best way to really be able to give you the highest probability of detection for what's out there. And our, and our heritage goes back with an SRC um, who's been doing radar um, and counter UAS work for the past 15 years, radar work for 60 years, and electronic warfare work as well for the U.S. Department of Defense. Right, right. So we took a lot of that learning and built these sensors for the commercial market. Okay, I'm feeling it a lot better now. The previous episode scared me about the threat, but now I've, I've had my second counter UAS company that's got 60 years worth of experience, so I am feeling better. Yeah, so you, you do know something about tracking manned aircraft, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, some of the air surveillance radars we have are, are very adept at tracking um, manned aviation, um, uh, but the, you know, the low slow flyers, um, what we're focused on for counter U.S. are much more challenging radar targets, and we're, uh, we think we're world leading at that as well. So what is your top challenge today? What, what keeps you up at night? Um, I think, you know, the, when you hear some of these scenarios or, or some of the threats that are out there, it, it is alarming what can happen out there. Um, and, you know, where we're really focused is, you know, coming up with the best um, sensors, like I mentioned, for detecting those low, slow flyers, um, using many as many sensors as possible, as many sensor inputs to give ourselves that highest probability of detection, lowest false alarm rate, and also be able to give ourselves, you know, early warning, being, being able to detect as early as possible. Um, just mentioned earlier um, about even being able to pick them up when they're on the ground before they take off. Anything you can do to detect early is um, is obviously a big bonus. So are you seeing a migration of standalone systems where they're being integrated with other counter drone uh, measures? Are, are you seeing that within this space? 
you're saying putting the detection together with mitigation? Yeah, where and also where maybe other industries or other companies are kind of they're 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 cohabitating or maybe blending or talking to one another where they might not have uh, ten years ago. Absolutely, there's a, a lot of collaboration across different sensor technologies or, or mitigation technologies to come up with the, the best solutions out there. Absolutely, seeing that. Yeah. So, Craig, you mentioned earlier that it, it, these small unmanned systems are a challenging target, and you, you said that uh, you know SRC's got 60 years in the manned aircraft. What what's so challenging about uh, these small unmanned systems? Well, from uh, if we just want to talk from yeah, a radar talking perspective. radar perspective, you know, we we we've kind of I think we've established, uh, you know, talking with David Brody at Schwartz, uh, you know, they use data links, and as long as you've got a you know a great system like they've got, and you've got a data link library, you can identify it pretty quickly. Uh, but that only identifies down to you know, say, street corner location. When you really want to, in, you know, get it down to a few inches or so, you got to get with the radar. Yeah, but you're saying that's a challenge with these small UAS. Absolutely. I mean, if you, uh, you know, you think back, you hear movie references over the years, they say I'm flying under the deck or other things like that. Traditional air surveillance or uh, national air defense radars are tuned for large craft, typically looking, you know, a thousand or two feet uh, above. Um, Anything below there, those radars were never really tuned to see those types of targets. So what we've been focused on is developing uh, basically new sensors to look, you know, potentially you could say 2,000 feet below, although we can look higher, but we're focused on the low, slow flyers, which traditional radars haven't seen. Um, and a, a lot of the times there's ground clutter, reflections, or other things that happen um, when you're looking at low altitudes, and it's challenging uh, to pull the signal that you're looking for, for out of the noise, if you will. So radar sends out um, um, emissions and it receives them back and you're trying to pull the signal out of the noise if you will and when you start doing that near the ground it gets very challenging and, and that's because of trees and buildings and stuff getting your way in the ground that you don't have up in the up in the air right yeah. exactly trees buildings or ground clutter as well and um, when you're looking for a big craft up high it's very different than trying to look for a very small craft down low amongst all that clutter. So where are you on like a scale of one to 10 on tracking that, that rogue drone? In ground clutter. Yeah. in ground clutter. Where, where are we right now? One being like, we really are sucking wind and 10 is we're crushing it. Um, I think at SRC, I think we're, I think we're world leading there. So I think we're crushing it. It's, it's a challenging problem that we're always, um, you know, continuing to invest in and, you know, develop new algorithms or new technology to keep getting better there. Um, but, you know, we're the basis of a lot of um, DOD systems and uh, the Griffin radar system as well, getting a lot of traction. And, um, you know, we've been demonstrating that and fielding that now a number of places because of its ability to track those low, slow flyers. Okay, so you've piqued my interest. Is there something that you're working on there that maybe nobody knows about, you haven't talked about at the conference that you attended recently or the panel that you were on yesterday? Is there there's something that you can tell the audience that they don't know already? I think one of the um, one of the interesting things we're working on, I'm not sure if it's public out there yet, but I think it's okay to talk about. We're fielded out in New Zealand right now uh, with Airways Corp New Zealand. Uh, for a counter U.S. pilot at one of their major airports there um, where they've got our system of systems deployed there. And we're using the, the radar specifically like we're talking about here for this segment here uh, to detect and track drones. So that's a pretty exciting project. And so can you, can you give us a little bit more information, more intel on, on the scope and the size of that system? Um, you know, we have our system of systems out there. So we have our radar. We have our direction finders as well. 
Um, Airways Corp New Zealand is the lead on that effort, and they'll they'll be talking about it some more um, in Madrid at the Air, uh, World ATM Congress um, meeting there of all the uh, air traffic managers around the world in March. And so did how did that initiative get started? Um, that actually that came back to a relationship through NASA um, about four or five years ago with the UTM work we've been doing. Um, Airways Corp heard about the work we were doing with the FAA on their counter UAS um, evaluations for the with the, the crate project. Um, we've developed a relationship with them over years, and then they invited us to come over and uh, partake in a pilot they're they're executing there. Well, you know, Craig, you, you keep talking about systems of systems and how important this is. And, and David, if you know, maybe if you can jump in here too. So, you, you know, you mentioned that uh, you know tracking targets and ground clutter is very difficult. Um, you know, small UAS or just that they're small. You know, plus I guess uh, unlike a manned aircraft or even a, a manned helicopter, quadcopters can you know change directions and move, and they're very difficult to track. Um, David, I'd be interested in your opinion. Does it make it easier, the fact that you can integrate RF uh, identification into these tracks to narrow down the area that you've got to search with radar and help with that uh, track ID problem? Absolutely. I would say that, you know, almost any sensor is going to struggle with a certain amount of ground clutter, trees, buildings in the way. You know, that'll affect the RF link not only between our sensor and the drone, but the drone and its controller as well. And you can see instances where drone operators have lost control of their unmanned vehicle when they go beyond line of sight. Mm-hmm. I would say that having an RF sensor on top of the overall solution, you can use it to cue the radar or cue the IR of the uh, optical sensor in order to first verify that you're going to get a hit and use this to, to kind of cue your other sensors. Well, and how reliable is that? I mean, uh, you know, assuming that the drone is emitting, um, uh, you know, can you say with great certainty that you can um, use your radio frequency systems to to cue a radar, you know, such as a Griffin sensors system, and actually identify which one of those little dots moving on all that ground clutter is actually the drone? Yeah, absolutely. We'll give an exact location, and then if the radar gets a hit at that location as well, we can get an even more accurate hit, and even say, you know, with let's take our Guardian system, which we work on with ESG they can even identify how many rotors are on the aircraft. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Can can you say how you do that or is that propriety? Keep in (laughs) mind Griffin Sensors is on the line here. (laughs) No, this comes down to different varieties of radar, right? So they're using the micro-doppler effect, and they're Uh looking for the rotors spinning. And they can tell from that very small variation as the rotors spin around, you know, what that looks like on a radar signature. Okay, so so both of you guys have really piqued my interest in 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 market. Oh, okay, and and the commercial market and the commercial customer, and maybe even the the state and local customer. What what is what is that model that you're looking at? Let's say, not in the immediate, but let's say in the five to ten year future. Yeah. So, David, which which how are you going to make money at this? Exactly. I would say currently we're looking at detection systems as these are already legal for us to sell to these customers. But long term, I believe they will get the ability to have some sort of mitigation form as well. In looking at this, our idea is you want to be modular. You want to be able to upgrade these systems out in time. Uh, okay, but but what types of customers are you talking about? Uh, and, and maybe you know, seeing as how you're you know predominantly European uh, company. 
Uh, are you talking about just selling to you know federal guys in Germany? You're talking about selling to local law enforcement. Um, but I think it might be relevant in 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 both U U S and U K and and in Germany and Europe. In that, you know, you still have the same concerns. I mean, we we on the earlier show with Dan. I mean, we we talked about that. And so, um, yeah, who who are your customers? And then and then Craig, uh, if you could follow up, that would be great. I would say our, our customers range from the traditional DOD market all the way to commercial operators who are concerned about uh, intellectual thought, uh, intellectual property theft and everything in between. So airports, prisons, border, um, you really name it, and there are threats to all of these infrastructural elements. Even uh, electrical power plants, to a certain degree, are looking at this. Nuclear power plants are looking at this as a solution to a problem that they're anticipating. So not just government customers, you're talking about commercial customers. What what do you mean by intellectual property protection? That sounds interesting. So one method that's been shown is that you can take a drone and fly it into say a corporate compound, land it on the roof of that compound, and then use it to try and probe for unprotected Wi-Fi networks and use it as a way to deliver a cyber attack. I love it. I love it. Craig? No, that's, that was a, a great summary. We're in pretty much all the same markets. I um, agree with those. It's from DOD uh, to obviously the emerging commercial market. That's really why um, we stood up Griffin. We've got a lot of the, the heritage in DOD, but some of these systems can't necessarily be transitioned as easily to these commercial markets, whether it uh, be cost considerations or being at the right frequency bands or even just the right design architecture. So. Um, but we also see DODs and militaries interested in these commercial off-the-shelf um, counter UAS capabilities as well. Then I think the other the other marketplace where we're fielded with customers today is the UTM space, where they also want this airspace picture, and that's to more help deconflict the airspace to fly safely beyond visual line of sight or over people or other other things of that nature. And then I guess I'd follow up with: uh, Will you have a play in the urban air mobility space? Yeah, same thing. I mean, it's basically, you know, we, we try to provide a, a real-time 3D airspace picture, and that could be used for UTM, UAM, or counter-UAS applications, really just knowing your airspace. So same radar, same RF detection can be used for, for multiple purposes, not just counter-UAS for unmanned traffic management, for urban air mobility, and then the ground-based sense and avoid, you know, which is where you're you're using your radar to, to tell drones where there's a other aircraft they might run into. That's interesting. Precisely. Exactly. Well, David, uh, I'll, I'll ask you to answer this first. I mean, what, what's your basic business model? I mean, uh, are, are you going to offer counter UAS, ground-based sense and avoid, unmanned traffic management like as a months. service? Uh, are you going to sell whole systems? How, how do you plan to get into this market? Yeah, so I'd say our strength is building the best RF sensing and detection equipment. We are going to stick with what we know. You know, I don't think we would do well, very You got well. 60 years at it, so yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to sell the equipment to those who can do the inland traffic management services, the people who can implement these systems. And we just want to make sure that we're putting out the best hardware that can operate with any C2 system and really fit any need across both price concerns and also about concerns about what type of system they're able to deploy. I mean, where do you see the market building to? Uh, do, do you and, and if you could speak mainly to the European market, because I think Craig gave us a good answer for the United States. I mean, short term, long term, do you see this uh, short term being all 
you know, defense. Uh, you know, Six months, the, 12 months, yeah. 18 months. How, how do you see the market building, particularly in Europe? I definitely see the Department of Defense and on these sort of defense ministries as kind of the first market that'll be there due to financial reasons. These guys, I think, are more cognizant of the strategic threat and also have the funding to properly um, properly address these problems. But past that, we're now seeing airports are quickly realizing that they have a serious issue. You know, if you look at what was going on in the UK with the airports before the Gatwick incident and then after, they've quickly realized that they're behind the eight ball already. Past that space, we're going to see commercial adopters on the back end of that. I don't think there's going to be that much adoption within the next two years or three years. We're probably looking five to 10 years out in that market. Yeah, so I, I guess short term, uh, you're definitely seeing the counter UAS market, uh, you know, being the one that you're most interested in. And I guess unlike radar, um, RF identification is, is much more useful in the counter UAS side than it is in the unmanned traffic management side. Is that a fair characterization? Not necessarily. I would say that even okay. RF direction finding is being used in things like air traffic control systems. So we're going to take a little break here to give you a message from our sponsor. Thank you for joining Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat, sponsored by Rody and Schwartz, a leader in test and measurement for radar and EW, satellite technology, avionics, navigation, and guidance. Rody and Schwartz products help protect critical infrastructures with drone detection and defense solutions. Learn more at InsideUnmannedSystems.com. All right, so we're coming close to the end of the show here. I just want to make sure, uh, you know, David and Craig, that uh, that you guys have gotten in all the points that you need to get. David, is there anything that, that we missed that you want to um, talk about now? Yeah, I would just say that when we talk about all the sensor solutions, one that usually is not mentioned is acoustic. And we believe that a layered okay. sensor solution is really important, which is why we partnered with ESG to offer a radar, RF, optical an acoustic sensor solution that could be deployed to markets within Europe and the United States. Oh, that's amazing. So you can actually track a drone by the, the sound it makes in addition to the radio frequency and the radar signature. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And acoustic offers the ability to look in blind spots, which might exist for radars and RF sensors. Okay. That is absolutely fascinating. Where can the audience go to get more information about systems like that? Squarehead Sensors is probably a great place to get started. Uh, we use theirs on our Guardian system, and they make some of the best on the market. Okay. Squarehead Sensors. You heard it here first, folks. All right, Craig, uh, did we miss anything? Is there anything else you want to close with? I think you guys did a great job. I, I echo um, what we just heard there as well. I really think it's a, it's a multi-sensor approach. And also, Sean, you talked about companies collaborating together. It's, all, it's about companies collaborating together as well. Uh, to really come up with the best solutions out there and then working with regulators and customers to continue to evolve those systems. So it's going to be a long, long game here, 10, 20 years, like you mentioned, General. And uh, we got to keep getting better um, with the current technology we have and partners out there and, and keep evolving. Just want to thank Craig Markinkowski, Griffin Sensors, and David Sandler with Roding and Schwartz. Thank you for joining us on Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat. Thanks, guys. That's a wrap for this week's edition of Inside Unmanned Systems, Drone Beat. I'm Richard Fisher, publisher of Inside Unmanned Systems, saying farewell from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C.